1: Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates' national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Stafford
0: takes the shotgun snap. Fires. End zone. Right side. Through to his rookie, as the Rams take the early lead, six to nothing from SoFi. Hey Rams Nation, we appreciate y'all for coming out for the last home game. It was all love this season. We got more victories in us. Stay with us. Let's go, Rams Nation. Let's ride. <laughs> I
1: don't know if Kyron Williams thought he'd been traded to the Broncos or what. That's Russell Wilson's exactly. line, Kyron. <laughs> Cease and desist, Kyron. Great night from the Rams. We're going to talk about that over the course of the next two hours. It's our final show before the Christmas holiday. We'll be off on Monday, back on Tuesday, to break down the latest game of the year. It's PFT Live on Peacock, Sirius XM 85, Sky Sports, NFL, podcast, wherever you get your podcast. Shereen Williams in for Peter King. Shereen, appreciate you getting up early. I was saying before the show started, when I was sending out texts on the PFT writers chain earlier at like 6:15 Eastern you responded to one and I'm like why in the <laughs> hell is she up at 5:15 Texas time and then I remembered well yeah she needs to be up because she gets the short straw on the last show before Christmas and I apologize for not having a Christmas sweater I have a story and it's why I was late today I would have been oh. not as late Yesterday I wore my Vikings ugly Christmas sweater that right. was a secret Santa gift from Rob Hyland, the producer of Sunday Night Football, when he was the producer of Football Night in America three or four years ago. I have this awesome elf sweater, Will Ferrell elf sweater, that lights up, that we bought That's on a awesome. trip to Walmart when we decided like everyone was going to go buy an ugly sweater and we all went to Walmart six, seven years ago. And I thought I knew where it was. I thought wrong. I was feverishly trying to find it. I failed. And I realized it's 6.57, probably time to go upstairs and get ready for the show.
2: Well, I appreciate you, A, putting on a shirt, and B, showing up on time. So we accomplished two (laughs) of the three we can do without the elf sweater today.
1: Yeah, you know, I've never been so frazzled in the morning that I almost came up here without a shirt on, but anything is possible especially as I or I should say we advance in years because no matter what. Yeah. I do respect my elder even if it's only by 3 months. Okay. So, <laughs> so that was the most tactful way I could put that and it was still it still yeah. sounded kind of rude. I shouldn't be that way. It's Christmas it's Christmas. I I do appreciate you getting up early. I mean, it's a busy time of year. It's hectic. It's this intersection of football season, reaching fever pitch, plus the holidays. And there's this presumption that during the holidays, you find a way to just unplug a little bit. Well, good luck when there's a game Thursday night, two on Saturday, all day Sunday, and three on Christmas. I'm surprised. I was thinking of this last night while I was trying to fall asleep while my brain was still hyperactive from taking in Saints Rams I'm kind of surprised Shireen they didn't wedge one of the games into tonight
2: yeah I am too Mike I really thought there would be a a Friday night game because there's not much going on tonight and I figure next year they're going to figure out a way to probably play Christmas will be on what probably a Tuesday I'm thinking if we don't Wednesday Wednesday so yeah okay Wednesday next year so they Tuesday Wednesday they have a Christmas Eve Christmas game I they'll figure out some way to do that yeah, I was talking to somebody from the NFL at the owner's meetings last week, and he said, yeah, we'd like to play a game every single night of the week. And I know they would. To me, I think it'd be overkill, but that's what they want to do, and I'm sure they get great ratings because even I would, would watch, even though it would be overkill, we'd all watch it.
1: We know they can pull off Tuesday and Wednesday because they did it out of necessity yeah, during the pandemic. It. And Mike North, who sets the schedule now for the NFL – said earlier this year when they pulled the sheet off the 2023 slate of games that they love Christmas, but Tuesday, Wednesday, it's harder to play games, but they'll find a way. They'll find a way. There will be a Christmas Eve game next year on a Tuesday night. There will be three games on Wednesday. They will find a way to do it. Creative use of buys or staggering late season games. So you have six days, then five days, and they'll do it. Where, where there is a giant bag of money, there's a way. And they understand there's a giant bag of money that, that comes from having these captive audience, massive games that they're going to get on Christmas. The Rams-Broncos game last year on Christmas, which was a joke, it was a blowout. Yeah, It got an incredible rating. Why? Because what else are you going to watch? How many times can you watch... A Christmas story. How many times can you watch whatever else you watch over and over again during Christmas? It's live sports. There's nothing else on other than basketball, and the NFL has shown it can blow away basketball. It's it's here to stay. Whatever day of the week Christmas falls on, they have finally realized it's just like Thanksgiving. Everyone's at home. Everyone's got a TV. They turn it on, and they leave it on for the 1 o'clock game four 30 game and eight o'clock game. It's inevitable. It's, it's inevitable. And they'll, they'll, whatever it takes, whatever it takes, they'll find a way to do it.
2: Well, and you're right, Mike, it's just like Thanksgiving, that Cowboys game in the middle of Thanksgiving day is annually the highest rated Raider season game. And it is because we have nothing else to do. I'm not an NBA fan. I'll watch a little bit in the playoffs, but the only time I really watch is on Christmas Day because there's nothing else to watch literally, and they stack those games together. Well, nobody's going to watch the NBA this year. Nobody. They're going to be watching the NFL. If you have to make a choice, you're going to be watching the NFL this year. Just look at the ratings and, and what they say. So they know that on Christmas Day... Christmas Eve, they will get great ratings. They'll get better ratings than any other day they can put those games on that week. So they're going to do it, and it'll be interesting moving forward when Christmas goes further down in the work week. They're going to try to figure out a way to do it then, too. They want to play on Christmas Day. There's no question about that.
1: What I say next I know is going to inevitably spark the playing of the old-time piano. It may may as well go ahead and start playing it now. To set the soundtrack, but Shireen, you will remember this: there was a time when the only sporting event on Christmas Day was the Blue Gray game. Remember the Blue Gray yeah. game? Yeah. The first oh, college all-star game,
2: Mobile, Alabama.
1: They played it every year on Christmas. And my dad, who I've explained at some point this year, and I've been very open about it, he was a bookie when I was growing up. <clears> the phone would start ringing. Right around 1030 a.m. up in his room where he took his calls and logged his action, people would actually, on Christmas morning, that's how deeply rooted this virus is, that we got to bet on something, got to bet, got to bet, got to bet. They would call to place bets on the freaking blue-gray game (laughs) on Christmas morning. So I guess they open their presents, they get a little envelope from Santa, and it burns a hole through their pocket, and they pick up the phone And they put some money on the blue-gray game. But the blue-gray game has been gone for years. But that was back in the 70s. That was it. That was it. And maybe there was a time where they played the hula bowl on on Christmas Day in Hawaii. I kind of vaguely remember that. But that was after. For a while, it was the blue-gray game. And that was it for sports on Christmas Day.
2: Oh, and you'd watch it. Again, there was nothing else to do, so you'd watch the Blue-Grey game. I remember watching every one of those games. Can't tell you who played or who won or anything else about them, but I know we watched it every single Christmas day.
1: Well, anyone who loves the NFL was watching last night because we had a game with significant playoff implications for both teams. The percentages, we talked about them yesterday, the next-gen stats percentages were massively impacted by the outcome. Winner was going to be around a 75% chance of making it to the postseason. Loser was south of 20%. The Rams were favored. And despite the final score, and I have some thoughts about that that I'll share later, despite the final score of 30-22, to 22, it was never that close. It was a Rams party, their final home game of the season. They were firing on all cylinders. They look great. And they look like a team. I think the only team in the NFC that would have a puncher's chance at San Francisco because they know them so well. Cowboys, I think, Shereen, and you you would know better than I, but we saw it in week five, 42-10. Eagles, we saw 42-19 to in their building just a few weeks ago. The Rams, I think, the only team that have a chance. And it's not much of a chance, but it's a non-zero chance to go to San Francisco. Assuming that all the 49ers' key players are healthy, that's the one big if. That's the one big assumption we continue to make, and who knows whether that assumption holds. But I think the Rams, that's that team that if you're Kyle Shanahan, that's the team you don't want. And they play them week 18 in Santa Clara. The Rams could be back one week later. They could be back two weeks later in Santa Clara.
2: Yeah, it's really interesting, Mike. And I, I think that game ended in the second quarter. It was ten seven Rams at, at the time. There was one oh four left. And it was that third down play um to Chris Olave. And and it was not an accurate pass. It was a fireball in there at him from not very far away. It was a hard catch. Yes, it hit him in the hands. I think it was a bad pass more than a yeah more than a dropped catch. It was catchable, but not really. And I think on that play right there, to me, that was kind of the end of the game. They went for it on fourth down and had no chance because they kept blitzing Carr and, and he didn't have any time and t- took the fourth down sack earlier in the game. I mean, there was no chance on that on that play. Juwan Johnson didn't even know the, the ball was there. and didn't even know it was coming when he had to get rid of it, and Carr took the fourth down sack earlier in the game and said, I'm not taking another fourth down sack, which he shouldn't have taken the first fourth down sack. But if I was Dennis Allen right there, Mike, I probably would have punted with 104 left and at least made the Rams try to drive the field. They ended up getting a touchdown. Maybe you hold them to a field goal there rather than a touchdown. But to me, that's where the game ended. But you're right. I think that game showed that the Rams are ready to compete in the NFC. And they have a chance. Whoever they play in the NFC, I think they have a chance to win. They are the team, to me, that has gotten hot. They can go in anywhere and play and win. I don't care where it is. I think they have a chance to win. I mean, they came here and I watched that game when they came to AT&T Stadium. And it didn't matter that Stafford got hurt early in the third quarter. That game was over. But I think if they played the Cowboys again, I think it would be a close game. And I think they'd have a chance to win. And I think they'd have a chance to win against the 49ers.
1: You mentioned Carr. I can't watch him now and not think back to what Lions pass rusher Bruce Irvin told me after he sacked Carr and then applied a wicked hit that gave him a concussion a back injury, a shoulder injury, a rib injury, whatever it was. It was like three injuries in one. Irvin said that he knew from his time with Carr in Oakland before the Raiders moved to Las Vegas. They had three years, almost three full years together. Irvin was released by the Raiders late in what would have been the third season. You get close to him, he gets rattled. And what he was doing last night, at least in the first half, in those key moments, the walls close in and he just sinks. He doesn't try to extend it. He doesn't try to stand there in the pocket yeah. and get rid of it. And I'm not – I'm just making an observation. I'm not I'm not passing judgment. We all have eyes. You watch the game, you see what happens. The walls close in, and he just kind of surrenders to it. And then that fourth down play, that was kind of like, I got to get rid of this ball before the walls start to close in, even if it had no chance of being caught. So that, that makes it easier – to defend the Saints when you know in those moments you put some heat on him and he'll get rattled. That was what Irvin said. He knew from experience. You get close to him, he gets rattled. And you can't get rattled. Matthew Stafford doesn't get rattled. He also gets injured, but he hasn't been injured lately. He's been spectacular. First quarterback in Rams franchise history with four straight games of two or more touchdown passes and no interceptions. Do you think about all the great quarterbacks the Rams have had over the years? Yeah. The the list would probably be led by Kurt Warner the quarterback of the greatest show on turf, but they've had other great quarterbacks too, and none of them ever did what Stafford has now done over the last four games. I mean, this is what we're looking for. I say it every year because it's accurate. There's somebody around Thanksgiving that starts to put it all together, and the Rams are putting it all together, and they're staying healthy, but between Stafford, Cooper Cup... Aaron Donald still there, although he wasn't dominant last night. You didn't hear Aaron Donald's name much, if no. at all, during the game. Kyron Williams is now one of the elite running backs in the NFL. Six straight games of 100 or more yards from scrimmage. The first time that's happened since Steven Jackson in 2009 for the Rams. And Puka Nakua. And we're going to talk a lot about Puka coming up because Puka, Sims and I tripped over this yesterday as we were spitballing about the game. Puka is making a late rush at Offensive Rookie of the Year. He is spectacular. The 177th pick in the draft, the 20th receiver taken, and then Demarcus Robinson. Every time you – it's like, wh- how was this guy available? They swap out Allen Robinson for, for Demarcus Robinson, the greatest Robinson for Robinson trade ever. Unbelievable. Not that it was a trade, but they, you know who we mean. Unbelievable what the Rams are doing. And they're doing it with old guys, and they're doing it with young guys. And it's working. And they are going to be a very dangerous team in the playoffs. And, you know, this is kind of a consensus Chris and I have reached to the point where despite deep-seated Viking loyalty that pulled me into the NFL as a fan 50 years ago, I don't want the Vikings in the playoffs because I don't think the Vikings can give us a good game. The Rams can. The Seahawks can. Those are my, my hopes to make the wild card because I want great games in the postseason. I want memorable games. I want stuff we can talk about and write about and that people are going to be captivated by. Vikings aren't going to captivate anyone. Rams are. Seahawks are. Buccaneers are. Of the 7-7, seven and seven, now Rams are 8-7, and seven, obviously, but of that cluster of teams, see you later, Saints. See you later, Vikings. Let's go, Rams. Let's go, Seahawks, because they can give us great games. We've seen it this week from both the Seahawks and the Rams.
2: And you know what the difference is? The teams that you mentioned, Mike, they have their starting quarterback. They have good quarterbacks. That's why they can make a difference, because they have their quarterback. And this is a team with a quarterback. We forget Matthew Stafford is still one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. He could help any team win, and he's helping the Rams win. And and you, you talk about Pukunukua. Think about the two defensive players they, they picked in the third round. Kobe Turner had a sack yesterday. He leads all rookies in sacks, six and a half sacks. Byron Young has six sacks. Those were third-round picks. What a job the Rams did in that draft to to refill their team with the last couple drafts that they've had. This is a completely different team than they had when they won the Super Bowl two years ago. And they've done a great job, as you said, of supplementing with some veterans, too, along with those rookies. I kept watching DeMarcus Robinson and thinking to myself, why isn't this guy on the Chiefs? Why isn't he still on the Chiefs? I know he played for Baltimore last year. He's better, more reliable. I won't say better. He's more reliable than any receiver the Chiefs have right now. And and so it got me thinking, imagine Patrick Mahomes with this receiving core. What could he do with this receiving core? It would be unbelievable. As many weapons as the Rams have. They have as many weapons as as any other team in the NFL, Mike, I think, which is what what makes them dangerous for the postseason.
1: And I remember being surprised when Robinson left for the Ravens in free agency because early in the Patrick Mahomes career as a starter, Robinson would be that guy who would be on the other end of the out-of-nowhere, I-can't-believe-Mahomes threw it. And it would be that – he had that connection – Demarcus Robinson that we really haven't seen him develop with anyone else. Between Robinson leaving, Tyree Kill leaving, we haven't seen it happen with anyone else. And they would probably admit, if they were being completely candid, that they wish they still had DeMarcus Robinson because he has become a great complement to Cooper Cup and Puka Nakua. I think at one point they said last night only four players caught passes for the Rams.
2: That's right. And they when did. you
1: have great receivers. Why should there be more? I, I'm, I, I'm thinking again of what Troy Aikman was saying on Monday night, that there's criticism of the Eagles because they throw too much to their best receivers. That's the whole idea. Take advantage of your best players. Yeah. Feed them. They're reliable. They get open. They make things happen after the catch, and the Rams have that. They hold. And, the, and uh, another point that Chris and I were making yesterday, when the offensive line is terrible, that's all we talk about. When the offensive line is great, they never get mentioned. They're allowing Kyron Williams to do what he's doing. They're allowing Matthew Stafford to do what he's doing. They go unnoticed. They go unappreciated because we're so smitten with the performances we're seeing from the skill position players. But the offensive line of the Rams after last year when it was just kind of not good, they've gotten it figured out this year as evidenced by what the offense is doing.
2: You know, the stat that, that most surprised me was the, the Matthew Stafford stat, the two touchdowns, no interceptions, four consecutive games. Stunned by that. Absolutely stunned that Kurt Warner or another Rams quarterback didn't do that. The, the next stat that stunned me the most was this one. Kyron Williams went over 1,000 yards uh, last night, 1,057 for the season. He may be the best running back. Probably is the best running back that Matthew Stafford has ever played for. He only played for one with one other thousand-yard back. Reggie Bush is the only other player that played with Matthew Stafford who rushed for a thousand yards. That stat stunned me. But you think about it, that he it it is. It's he he really hasn't had that great running back. Uh, Todd Gurley's days were behind him when Matthew Stafford showed up. And he might have been gone. I guess he was gone by then. He was so, gone. Gone. He hasn't. Yeah, he hasn't had that great running back to play with. And now he has one. This back is really, really good. And he's been unsung. And he's probably been underappreciated by most of the NFL fans who don't watch the Rams on a regular basis because they don't see this guy run. He is an excellent running back. And, and I that stunned me, too, that it's only the second 1,000-yard rusher that Matthew Stafford has had.
1: And another fifth-round pick, you know, it was a punchline, and they welcomed it. Les Snead, GM of the team, wearing the F-them-picks T-shirt, only he didn't say F. And as they're trading away the first-round picks for proven players, they're grinding away on the late-round picks, and they're finding guys who become great players, once the draft gets to that point, and it happens every year, unless you are Mel Kuiper, unless it is all you live and breathe, by the time we get to rounds five, six, and seven, you're just rolling the dice, and we'll find out months from now whether or not it's a good roll or a bad roll. Most of them are misses. Not as many are hits. To have a guy like Puka Nakua and Kyron Williams. Kyron Williams didn't do anything close to what he's doing this year, last year. You have these two fifth-round picks coming together, one from 22, one from 23, and they're fueling this resurgence of the Rams. And it's it's given Matthew Stafford this kind of strange fountain of youth where it's almost like a Benjamin Button thing where he's getting older, but he's playing younger, and he's healthy. That's the key. Matthew Stafford yeah. last year got so banged around, and he never complains. I think a lot of the injuries that he suffered, he— he doesn't even say anything to the team, may not even say anything to his wife. He just goes home, grits his teeth, bites the bullet, and keeps going. When you take that out of the equation, the guy can still throw. And he's got the he's got all the arm angles. We've been so smitten by Patrick Mahomes. Stafford does all that too. He's been doing it for years. We just didn't notice it for all the years he was languishing in Detroit. But Stafford, spectacular. Kyron Williams, Puka Nakua, Cooper Cup. It's unbelievable to see what the Rams are doing. And you look at them now, it's like, what took so long for this engine to get going? It doesn't matter because it's going. Your record doesn't matter. If you get a seat at the playoff table, it doesn't matter. Whether you were 17-0 and or 9-8 and or even 8-9 and or, hell, 7-10, and it doesn't matter. All that matters is what you do when you get there. And the Rams are playing right now like a team that when they get there, they are going to be disruptors. And you look at the current playoff tree. And there are two things I want for Christmas, Shereen. Only two things. I want Browns-Ravens as a playoff game in the AFC, and I want Rams-Lions as a wild card game in the NFC. I want Matthew Stafford to go back to Detroit with this Rams team. And I'll tell you right now, I'll pick the Rams to win that game if it happens.
2: Yeah, I would probably pick the Rams, too, at this point. We'll see what the Lions do the rest of the way. But they're playing much better than the Lions are right now. So, yeah, they put it all together. And I, and I don't know what took so long. M- Matthew did have the injury against the Cowboys right there in the middle of the season. But it doesn't explain what happened early in the season. But whatever, they've gotten it together. And you think about the one loss in the streak they now have. Um, five out of the last six games, that was the overtime loss to Baltimore, and they could very easily could have won that game. The one area I worry about for them is still the kicking situation. They haven't fixed it. They've tried. They don't have a reliable kicker right now. And so that, to me, is the one concern that they have moving forward. They have an opportunity to fix it, but if they don't fix it, that could come back to bite them and bite them very hard in the next few games.
1: Well, special teams generally. Block punt late in the game that yeah, allowed the Saints punt. to make it a little more respectable. So uh, you're, you're right. You're right. And those weaknesses tend to become magnified when you get into the high-stakes games where everyone is watching every drive, every snap, scrutinizing everything. Wherever those flaws are, they tend to bubble up to the surface at the worst possible time. So that is something to watch for the Los Angeles Rams. Before we move on from Stafford, let's listen to Sean McVay, coach of the Rams, on whether or not Matthew Stafford is currently playing his best football right now.
3: I think Matthew's done a great job of, you know, being able to distribute the ball, and I think he's playing as good as he's played, Sam. I mean, it's been outstanding, um, his leadership. He's feeling good, too. I mean, you know, people don't understand how much he was pushing through with the thumb injury, but this guy is a stud. He elevates everybody, myself included, and, um, you know, he's playing outstanding, and I wouldn't want anyone else in the world leading our team than him.
0: Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.
1: And look, they are where they are now. But we can't ignore history. We can't ignore the notion that the Rams were kind of hoping that the Jets wouldn't get Aaron Rodgers so they would call the Rams and do a deal for Stafford before another $57 million became fully guaranteed on March 17. That was out there at the time. And also out there this past offseason and toward the end of last season. And last night, Al Michaels was dancing toward the subject. It was a little awkward for those of us in the know who have been following this very carefully for the past few years. When Al Michaels is talking to Herb Street about how well he knows Sean McVay. Yeah, he knows him well enough that Sean McVay was Al Michaels' first choice to be in the booth with him at Amazon. Herbie was plan B, plan C, plan D. I don't know, but McVay was the guy they wanted. McVay was the guy they threw a big pile of money at. He just chose not to take it after they won the Super Bowl. And then last year, when it bottomed out, and McVay started looking around for escape hatches because he was. I, I Look, I'm praising the Rams, and they're more exciting to me now as kind of an underdog than when they're the team that everyone thinks is going to win it all. But yeah. last year at this time, a lot of chatter, a lot of noise about McVay walking away like Dick Vermeil did, burned out, take a break, go into broadcasting. The only problem is there was no seat. They were all taken. He blew his window. He was one year after the great reshuffling of NFL broadcasters. There was nothing there. So he had to come back. And I, I don't think, I mean, I've heard from enough people that I trust, once he started to get some blowback from within the team, like, what are you doing? You're, you're leaving us? We all came back. Aaron Donald came back. Matthew Stafford's still there. Everybody signed all these new contracts, and you're going to leave after one year? He was stunned by that, as it was explained to me. He was rattled by that, as it was explained to me, and he, he re-upped. And look at what, it's paid off. It's a great story because it felt like this was going to be another year, Shereen, where they're paying the bill from the Super Bowl they won two years ago. I don't think anybody expected, including them, to be as competitive as they are and have it all fall together the way that it has. How could you have known that Puka Noku is going to become a superstar? How could you have known that Kyron Williams is going to become a superstar? and that, that And how could you have known that the offensive line was going to be so much better than it was last year? And it's worked, and it's fun to watch. It's so much more fun to watch a team that is uprising than a team that is front running. And the Rams are the uprisers and the 49ers are the front runners. And my 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 next, my New Year's wish, Christmas wish, Rams at Lions. New Year's wish, Rams at 49ers. Because I think both of those games would be a hell of a lot of fun to watch in the playoffs.
2: Well, we get a preview of that, obviously, in a couple weeks. So that'll be fun to watch. But Mike, didn't... Sean McVay looked like he was just having so much fun yesterday, too. I mean, he was going to guys on the side, tapping Puka on the helmet and celebrating. I mean, it looked like their Super Bowl year, again, the way he was he was celebrating and having fun and smiling and laughing. And that's what you like to see. And, and I know he's glad he came back with what's transpired. But you're right. Nobody saw this coming. They didn't even see this coming. They didn't know what those draft picks were going to turn into And they've turned into really good players, and they've rebuilt in a hurry, probably a lot faster than they thought they were going to rebuild. You think of all the trades they made, of all the players who came and went, the Odell Beckhams, the Jalen Ramseys, all those guys. They don't have those guys anymore. They don't have those big names there. But they still have Matthew Stafford, and they still have Aaron Donald, and that's two really good places to start. And then they brought in all these lower-round draft picks, not first-round draft picks, but – third-rounders, fifth-rounders, and these guys have developed in a hurry. And now they are one of the most competitive teams in the NFL. They're a team you don't want to play. They've scored 28 points in their last five games, I think it is. So they're really playing at a high level right now. I think they're capable of beating anyone that they play. We saw it with the Baltimore game. They were capable, fully capable of winning in Baltimore. Tough place to play. We've seen teams go in there. We saw the Lions do it. We saw the Lions go in there and get their butts kicked. We saw the Texans go in there, get their butts kicked. Tough place to play, and they had a chance to win that game. They can be competitive wherever they go and play. That includes San Francisco. And that's an excellent
1: point because they've won five out of the last six games, but the game that convinces me the most that they'll be dangerous in the yeah. postseason is the one they lost. That was the game where you say, the Rams, they got something, and it travels. You wouldn't expect it to travel. It traveled in the rain, and they almost won that game. And think of if they had, and I know there's a lot of different ifs and permutations, but they'd be on a six-game tear. They'd quite possibly have their playoff ticket punched already, although it might not be clinched without one more win. But but we would be, we would be much more confident. It all came down to overtime. But they can go on the road. They could go to Philadelphia and win. They could go to Dallas and have a different game than they had before. They could go to San Francisco and win in the postseason because they know that team so well. I, that's always, I think, the great fear of a great team. We've seen it before. One seed's losing to teams from their division who aren't intimidated. Yeah. They know the stadium. They know the city. They know the personnel. They would love nothing more than to end your special season that got you the one seed or the two seed. And the Rams, I think, would love. They did it the year they won the Super Bowl. They knocked out the 49ers in the NFC Championship. They would love to do it again if they get that opportunity, and maybe they will. Puka Nakua mentioned him earlier. He's having one of the great seasons for a rookie receiver that any have ever had. There was an item last night from NFL Research Nakua is the first receiver in the Super Bowl era with four 150-yard-plus receiving games. More than Jamar Chase, who had three. More than Randy Moss, who had four. He's got more receiving yards now than Randy Moss had in all of 1998. Now, Moss had 17 touchdowns, which was one of the reasons why he was so spectacular. But more receiving yards, grinding it out and grinding it out. He's got six 100-yard receiving games, Nakua does. Only Odell Beckham and Justin Jefferson had more. Seven in a rookie season in the Super Bowl era. And Nakua's got two more games to tie and or pass. He's incredible. The catches he makes, the things he does. He's 6'2". They kept mentioning that last night. And it's important because it adds to his arsenal. He's big. He's fast. He's strong. He's a great kid. I talked to him after one of those games they won earlier in the year. It's a fun story to see a guy who was beating the odds, a guy who is great. They criticized this moment last night because you can't just hit him. You've got to wrap him up. That was that jet sweep that iced the game. Incredible what he's doing. He ended up with 180 yards from scrimmage last night. He had 16 rushing, including that game clinching first down. Great to see what he's done. And here he is. He's got it. I mean, come on. Bill Grohman. 1960, I think, should that be the Oilers? <laughs> that should be the Oilers, not the Texans.
2: Yeah, def- 14- definitely was the Texans. I guess it should
1: be the Titans then. Definitely wasn't the Texans in 1960. I wasn't alive then, but I can tell you, Texans weren't around then unless it was, <laughs> no, it wasn't, unless it was the Dallas Texans. Maybe it was, is it possible uh-huh. it was the Dallas Texans in 1960, Shereen? It quite possibly
2: was. Could be. Yeah. That would be my guess. It was the Dallas Texans. Which are now Texans. the Chiefs, by um, the no, way. I don't... Yeah, okay. Uh... Yes, Puka Nakua is playing great, Mike. He's playing great. And two things, you mentioned the end around. That, to me, was the key play of the game because it was second and five right there. He picked up the first down, kept the clock running. So they they snapped the ball at 309. The next snap was at 221. That allowed them basically to run off. Of course, they got the offsides on, on Cam Jordan there. A little bit later but that to me was the the key play there in that drive that allowed them to run out the clock and then he recovered the onside kick by the way before that to put that thing away so he he is just doing everything right now for the Rams and I know you wrote about this about his chances for rookie of the year and I'll say it you know is one of my favorite quarterbacks in the NFL but if CJ Stroud doesn't play again in December I think Puka Nakua is probably going to win Rookie of the Year over C.J. Stroud. He'll probably be number one on the about with C.J. Stroud number two.
1: The odds have changed, even overnight. C.J. Stroud has dipped from minus 4,000 to minus 2,500. I don't know why Puka Nakua's odds have gone from plus 750 to plus 800 overnight because I couldn't find a corresponding drop from any of the other candidates you see there as the the potential Offensive Rookie of the Year winners. It's going to be Stroud or Nakua, I believe. My son is big on Sam Laporta. No tight end has ever won that, but he's behind his own teammate, Jameer Gibbs. You're going to have a situation where you're going to split votes between the two Lions players, potentially, if it comes down to it. I think the door's open for Nakua, and you're right. we were ta- And we talked about this yesterday. If Stroud doesn't play again this year, does Nakua take it from him? And Pete Demolaitis told us yesterday that the odds... For Stroud, as of yesterday, we're minus ten thousand. So we've seen dramatic change in a day in the offensive rookie of the year odds, because Stroud, likely to miss another game this weekend with the concussion he suffered against the Jets, and you know, maybe some lingering effects of an undiagnosed potentially concussion against the Broncos, light sensitivity reportedly, we may not see him again this regular season. That makes it not more likely, less unlikely that Nakua will have a chance. It's still an uphill climb because Stroud was so cemented as the offensive rookie of the year, but it's not impossible. It's not impossible, especially when you have primetime game like we saw last night, Nakua with a great performance, impactful, meaningful, not just padded stats, big plays and big moments to deliver a win for the Rams. Here's Sean McVay, coach of the Rams, on whether Nakua has indeed solidified himself as this year's offensive rookie of the year.
3: He's outstanding. You know, I mean, I I couldn't be more grateful for the contributions. And, I mean, what a freaking run on the jet sweep. Has a bunch of plays through the pass game. You guys have seen it week in and week out. You know, you talk about that balance. You can't have the balance if you don't have receivers that are willing to dig out support and do some of the things that he does. Um, You know, you see around the league, you know, Stroud's had a great year. But this guy is... He would get my vote. And, um, you know, he's really special. But the best part about him is he doesn't worry about those things. He worries about, you know, just being a great teammate, continuing to improve his game and uh, sure love this team. And and he's one of those guys that you really love.
1: As I said earlier this week, when Kevin Stefanski was making the case for Miles Garrett as Defensive Player of the Year, it's only newsworthy if the coach of the guy who's the candidate says he'd vote for the other guy, right? If Sean McVay said, yeah, you know, this is great, but C.J. Stroud is the offensive rookie of the year if I had a vote. So he's supporting his guy, but it's not hard. It's not like you have to twist logic and defy common sense to make a case for Puka Nakua. He is a difference maker, and he's proven that he's one of the best players in the NFL at any position in one year. Amazing. Last pick in round five, 20th receiver taken, what he's done. And it makes you wonder what these other folks were thinking As the picks were going by, that's how good he's been. And I don't know that he would have been this good with anybody else. But, you know, that's one of the things I have a hard time reconciling. Receiver is kind of morphing into running back, where you can find, if you're doing your job right, you can find great receivers in the later rounds of the draft. So why use a first-round pick on a receiver if you – have the right eye, the right touch, the right assessment, the right analysis, and you find the right guy because they're out there. There's so many guys out there who can catch passes, run routes, do all the things necessary. It all goes back. And I remember a few years ago, it's like, where are all these great receivers coming from? They're coming from the fact that there's seven-on-seven camps everywhere now. These quarterbacks throwing and throwing and throwing and throwing and throwing, someone's got to catch those passes. And it's helping the receivers develop to the point where they can come to the NFL and make an immediate impact. And a guy like Puka Nakua, Shireen, I really – think will cause some of these teams to ask themselves do we really need to take a receiver in round one can we wait and maybe get one of these guys that we think has something we see something that maybe translates well to the NFL and Nakua is proof that just like with running backs maybe you don't need to use a first round pick on one.
2: Unless you're the Kansas City Chiefs and I suggest using one on the first round, the second round, the third <laughs> yeah, round, sure. the fourth round, yeah, the fifth sure, round. Every round. Find one. You just need one guy there. But yeah, you're right, Mike. I, I said that that it, it has become like the running back position. You can find receivers after the first round who are really good and puka nakua is an example of that i mean just to to step in remember back when it was such a big deal when randy moss had such a great rookie season because rookies didn't have great seasons as rookies when they were receivers i mean they just had to learn the game and randy moss comes in and took the nfl by storm and we were saying oh my gosh a rookie receiver has never done this it's outstanding well, now in college, you're right. They started in high school with the seven-on-sevens, and then in college, it's a whole entire passing game. So they know the whole route tree, most of them, when they come in. And they're able to step right in and play. So we're not surprised anymore when rookie receivers come in and step right in and play like veteran receivers because they have the experience. They have the experience in high school. They have the, ah, uh, and there's the correct graphic. It was the Oilers, Mike, Bill Groman. Now, but wait a minute. Now, wait a minute. Right now, we're going to have to – go-
1: we're going to have to write a check to the yeah. Titans now because we know they'll sue oh, well, over misappropriation of the Oilers logo. The University of Houston found out the hard way. Cease and desist.
2: <laughs> but what he's doing, Mike, has just been outstanding. And and I guess we shouldn't be surprised in my whole point because – guys are coming in and able to do this no matter where they're drafted no matter where they played in college just the way the passing game has developed at the high school level at the college level they can come in and do this and they can't come in and do this even if they weren't a first or second or third or fourth round pick
1: yeah you know I've noticed this year a trend and typically it's Peter King on Fridays but what we'll do after the Thursday night game the team that lost usually gives us the more compelling content right out of the gates the night the saints lost to the jaguars on a thursday the next day peter and i spent a lot of time unpacking the various tantrums that Derek carr was having during the game the things that he was doing The you could read his lips you could see his mannerisms his facial expressions he wasn't happy with his receivers kind of Whether he meant to or not, blaming them for miscommunications. And I think in one event, it was a miscommunication. It was a bad route, but still, it's always the quarterback's fault. And if you act publicly like it's not, you're going to have trouble in the locker room. Last night, the Saints showed, and I said this going into the game, and I still believe it. They're just good enough to barely miss the playoffs. And I think that's what's going to happen. They're going to barely miss the playoffs. And I don't know, can they go to Tampa next week and beat the Buccaneers? They already lost to the Buccaneers at home. That's been a great rivalry in recent years. The Tom Brady years, the Buccaneers always had, or the Saints, excuse me, always had Tom Brady's number when he was playing for the Buccaneers. But what, what, here, what I saw last night was a team that got blown off the field. It was 30-7, to and then I think the Saints, this was my assessment while watching the game, and I love Monday night and Thursday night because those are the two nights a week that I can watch the whole game as it's happening live, not after the fact, and develop a sense, just that sense, just that what's really going on here. And I feel like once it was 30 to 7, the Saints went into let's make the final score not look as bad as it was mode. Because the drive that culminated in the touchdown that cut it to 30 to 14, they were kind of plotting dinking and dunking no real sense of urgency like hey this is just the first of three scores we need to catch them I never got that sense that this was about winning the game or forcing overtime this is about let's go down here and get a touchdown because 30 to 7 looks pretty bad let's make it 30 to 14 and then the block punt and they started the dink and dunk again until the long touchdown pass that made it 30 to 22 that changed the vibe and it woke the Rams up and it put them in a spot where they maybe had to to sweat more than they thought they were going to. I mean, there was a point early in the fourth quarter where Sean McVay was very celebratory on the sidelines. It's like, yeah, it's thirty to seven. And I mean, really, are the are the Saints gonna come back from thirty to seven? They almost tripped their way into it, but Shereen, I think that they really when they were on that first drive, that cut it to thirty to fourteen. That to me just felt like save face. Score a touchdown. 30 to 14 looks so much better than 30 to 7. And 30 to 22, for somebody who just does a quick drive by of the scores, they're going to think, hey, well, you know, Saints were competitive. But they weren't. They weren't. They scored a couple of touchdowns late when the game was out of hand and they made the final score not look as bad as it would have. And I just feel like that's what they wanted to do once it was 30 to seven.
2: Well, you know, I think we have enough evidence now that Derek Carr is what he's, what he's shown. Um, He's done it with two teams. He's just good enough to, and what is that? As you said, what, what is he stay out of the, stay out of the playoffs. He's just good enough to keep you out of the playoffs, to keep you competitive, to keep you out of the playoffs. If you, gets into the playoffs, which he he's done it twice and only got to weigh, play in one playoff game. He's not going to win the playoff game so he's just not good enough I, I mean I think there's enough evidence of that that he's not good enough to get you in the playoffs and have a chance. It was obvious who the better quarterback was and when you start looking at the divisions Mike and the division leaders. Aside from the NFC South, I think there—I mean the AFC South—South, uh, South, I think there'd be a little argument there. But aside from that division, if you look at the other divisions, the the quarterback, the best quarterback on the team is going to win that division more than likely. So you know the the NFC East has two really good quarterbacks. You can debate whether Jalen Hurts, Dak Prescott's playing better than Jalen Hurts this year, but you can debate which is the better quarterback. I'll I'll take that. But The best quarterbacks usually win in this league, period, end of story. So my point is, I don't know that you can win, the Saints can win with Derek Carr as their quarterback. The Raiders finally figured that out and said, we've got to move on. Now the Saints have this guy for at least one more year. They don't have to play him. They have Jameis Winston sitting over there. But he's not good enough. I think that's where we are. He's not good enough to take them where they want to go.
1: This is the layers and levels of quarterback competence below franchise quarterbacks. There are guys who we've seen it. And at a certain point, you just are who you are. And there's no shame in being a quarterback who is good enough to get you into the fringes of playoff contention every year. And look, to his credit... The Raiders gave the Bengals everything they could handle a couple of years ago in the wild card round. We didn't know at the time the Bengals were headed to the Super Bowl. The Bengals didn't know they were headed to the Super Bowl. But the Raiders gave them a game, and there was that weird call with the phantom whistle in the first half that kind of undermined things and made you think maybe the Raiders got screwed a little bit. It was all the way down to a final drive where they were trying to force overtime. But Derek Carr didn't deliver. That's the thing. You get opportunities. They're pass-fail. The opportunities come along not very often. What do you do with them? The great quarterbacks cash them in. The guys who aren't among the great quarterbacks cash them out. And that's what Derek Carr is. He is who he is. He's not going to magically get better. I don't think. Now, look, I was saying the same things about Kirk Cousins. And the last we saw of Cousins in a full game this year, he was the best he'd ever been. And I think there's plausible hope that if he's back with the Vikings next year, he'll play that well wire to wire, although he will be 36, I believe, in August. Carr is who he is. And Shereen, they they made a commitment to him. And I don't know who else they were competing with. You know, the whole thing last year when the Raiders decided they wanted to cut him or trade him or at least work out a deal to trade him before another $40 million became fully guaranteed in February right after the Super Bowl. And I knew at the time, you're not going to pull this off. He's got no reason to comply, no reason to cooperate. Just cut me. And they eventually cut him. He had a head start on free agency. I think the Jets would have been interested in him if they weren't able to get Aaron Rodgers. I know the Jets would have been interested in him if they weren't able to get Aaron Rodgers. The Saints, I don't know who else was in that mix, but the Saints gave him a contract that contains $30 million fully guaranteed next year. And as of March of next year, there's a $10 million roster bonus payable in 2025 that becomes fully guaranteed in just a few months. $40 million still to be paid. The same number, coincidentally or ironically or both or neither. $40 million that the Saints aren't getting away from because they're already on the hook for $30. they are all in with Derek Carr for next year. Now, they don't have to play him, but they do have to pay him. And no one's trading for him. Just like last year. I mean, think about it. If all of a sudden the Saints would make it known to the NFL at large that Derek Carr is available. Who, who, who would be rushing to do that deal after what we've seen from Derek Carr over the balance of his career? And, you know, look, I mean, it's not like he's going to block me on Twitter for saying this because he already has. But we have to be honest in our assessment. We can't sugarcoat it. He is exactly where he is. Middle of the pack at best. And there's no shame in that. Middle of the pack at best. And I don't know that there's some magic button that's going to be pressed on Derek Carr to get him to become better than he's been. Maybe there's some coach out there that can find a way to get through to him and get him to stand in the pocket longer and get him to to not get rattled, as Bruce Irvin said. Not my words, Bruce Irvin's words. Rattled when you get around him. I just, 10 years, 11 years into the league, I don't know how you change that.
2: Maybe if you have a good running game like the Bills did to the Cowboys, you can rush for 200 yards a game and he's still going to have to make some plays, but maybe if you can build it around a really good running back and and good offensive line and give him some time with a couple of good receivers, I I don't know, but you know, I think he's had enough opportunities. I mean, he had Devontae Adams last year and, and Devontae had another huge year last year and look what it did for the Raiders. Absolutely nothing last year. So I don't even know if that's the answer. They had a, a running back who led the league in rushing, and and Josh Jacobs, and that didn't do anything for him. So I, I, I don't know what the answer is for the Saints going forward. I do know that he's going to be on the roster next year, but you don't have to play him. So you probably need to go draft a quarterback and start trying to um, get him ready to play. If you can find one that that you really like, that's not going to be one of those top five picks so that's the problem is the the saints are are just not quite good enough to make the playoffs but not quite bad enough to get high enough to draft one of those really good quarterbacks so they're kind of in that middle of the road type hell that you don't want to be in Mike if if you're going to not make the playoffs like you want to be bad you want to have an opportunity if you don't have a quarterback to go get your quarterback and that's not where the saints are right now
1: You might be advocating tanking there, but from a business standpoint, I don't know what it does from a football culture standpoint. Sean Payton is very, very adamant about that, that you don't want to introduce the concept of losing and accepting losing into a locker room because then you lose guys that you may never get back. But if you know you're not going to make the playoffs, it is better for your long-term interest to be in a position where you can draft a quarterback. And, you know, Saints fans, after a game like last night, fire Dennis Allen, fire Dennis Allen. Well, the new coach is going to have his hands tied with Derek Carr with that $40 million. $30 million plus another ten that becomes fully guaranteed. Um, I want to... Oh, I know. I want to say one more thing about Carr. Cam Newton caused a ruckus, I think it was last week, by labeling Tua and Dak and Brock Purdy and Jared Goff as game managers. I think you're only ever going to get the best out of Derek Carr if you make him a game manager. The guy who makes the basic meat and potato throws, has enough help around him. You're not asking him to go out and win the game. You're just asking him to hold it together. So it's going to work, and I think this may be why the Jets were interested. Great defense, great running game. Just don't screw it up. That's the Derek Carr best-case scenario. A great team. And you say to Derek Carr, don't screw it up. So maybe there is a team out there. I haven't really thought about it. Maybe there is a team that says, yeah, yeah this is a don't screw it up guy. But you're not going to pay that guy $40 million guaranteed. That, no. That's the reality. He's not a guy that gets that kind of money. It's a Jimmy Garoppolo $25 million a year contract. So I, the, the Saints are stuck for another year. They're stuck. They just lather, rinse, repeat. Unless they're willing to pay him and not play him, Shereen, they're stuck with Derek Carr.
2: And what kind of backup is he going to be, Mike? I can't see him. We saw what happened at the end of the year with the Raiders. I can't see him sitting on the bench, being a good teammate, Uh, if Jameis Winston is the starting quarterback or whoever it is, I just can't see that happening. So that's another problem is you're paying him all this money, and even if you sit him down, I just don't think he's going to be good uh, in the locker room, in the quarterback's room with those guys, and that's what you need for a backup quarterback. I think Jameis Winston has become that guy, but I don't think that's Derek Carr.
1: I got – Two more things to say. I know Courtney's told me to break, but it wasn't the forceful one-syllable break yet. It was just break next. When it's break next, <laughs> it's coming. But I, let me get this out first. Okay, two things real quick. One, I hated the onside kick by the Saints once they made it 30-22. to 22, I hated that. There was 3.53 left. They had no timeouts. There's 3.53 left. Kick it away. You just blocked a punt. That the Rams had, that's going to be in their heads. They're going to be more conservative. They're going to be more careful. They're going to be more nervous if they've got the ball on their own 25, not on your 45. You still have to stop them either way. But why are you giving them field position right there where they've got the cushion of 55 yards behind them? Kick it away. 353 is a lot of time. 353 requires two first downs unless you jump offside on third and short, and the clock keeps running, and then all you have to do with 42 seconds left is take a knee. And that's my other point. Yeah. They almost, I don't want to say almost, they invited disaster on Sunday. They had about 42, 43 seconds left on the clock. All they had to do was run a play, get the play clock to 40, and the game's over. And they did what could have been another Joe Pasarczyk, Larry Zonka disaster. They handed the ball off. Ball squirts out. There's a Herm Edwards there to pick it up. Commanders win that game. Last night, they did what they should have done on Sunday. Matthew Stafford gets the ball, walks it back. Gets it down to 40, takes a knee, game over. And when I made that point on Twitter, people were like, oh, why are you all oh, you, – it didn't happen, so why does it matter? Well, it could have happened. We talk about percentages all the time. There's a 0% chance of disaster if you do what you did last night. There is a non-0% chance of disaster if you hand the ball off when you don't have to. That's what the Giants found out the hard way in, what was it, 1978? Whenever it was. That's yeah. That's the kind of lesson the Rams – Very small chance could have learned on Sunday.
2: Well, and they did it last night, so I guess they have learned their lesson, Mike, but you're right. That's exactly what they needed to do. That's exactly what they needed to do on Sunday, and now they did it in this game. I think in Dennis Allen's mind, and while I read his quotes, He didn't think they were going to stop him, whatever they did, so it was their best opportunity to get the ball. But you had just blocked the punt before. If it was me, I would have kicked it deep and taken my chances on making a stop, loaded up my defense to not only stop the run but to stop those short passes. If they beat me deep, so be it. They beat me deep. But to me, that probably would have given them the best opportunity, considering that there's only been one onside kick recovered this season, the chances of that were not very good. The chances of them stopping the Rams, I get, were not very good either. But I think if you kick it deep, you've got more of a chance to stop them. Simply because you're right, they had all that cushion behind them where if they're backed up deep, if you can back them up deep, maybe something happens. Maybe they get a holding call. Maybe they fumble the ball. Who knows? But something could have happened there to give you an opportunity to at least maybe force a punt where they weren't going to do that with the onside kick.
1: Yeah, it was the holding call that set up the the situation that yeah. resulted in the block, uh, the, the punt that was blocked. But you know, I, I mean, think of the psychology of the Rams knowing they had just had a punt blocked. They get the ball on their twenty-five. Maybe they will be a little more aggressive offensively, and maybe they'll take some shots yeah. in the air. Incomplete pass, stop the clock, fourth down, execute the punt, get the ball back. I just think the onside kick is such a low percentage play. And the way they set it up, like they, they lined up like they were going to kick deep and then the quarterback does some weird – or the kicker, excuse me, does some weird little thing before he kicked – either, either commit to the onside kick or kick it away. Don't do this cutesy thing where you line up like you're going to do a regular kick and then try to surprise somebody. You didn't surprise anybody with that. So I, I, I thought it was a mistake, not that it would have changed the outcome – I just think at that point, the Saints really didn't want to change the outcome. They were just happy to get out of there at 30-22 to because that looked a hell of a lot better than 30-7 because the Rams were clearly the better team on the field last night. Let's take a break. When we return, week 16 will end with a potential Super Bowl preview at the end of the day on Christmas as the Ravens go to San Francisco, Santa Clara, to take on the 49ers. We'll talk about that one when PFC Live continues right after this.